0: Appreciate the time, and we we'll won't keep it too long, but wanted to talk about the new album and the wedding band and, and get your opinion <laughs> on a couple of things here. But uh, let's dig into the album uh, to begin with. Album number two, Nation, and exciting for you because uh, this is your chance to kind of come in on this album, the second one, with riffs yeah. from the beginning because some of the songs were already written by the time that you had joined for the first album, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the band ultimately, you know, filters out of John Bergman, our drummer, who's kind of the primary songwriter when it comes to music, and and Tommy, you know. Different bands have different kind of... Structures to kind of how they operate, and this band is you know has its way it it kind of operates and and there's so much good material coming in there like you really have to bring something special to kind of make it on a record and it's it's kind of competitive so you have to have a uh, thick skin <laughs> and be, be prepared to say so have someone say hey it's not good enough or go back to the uh, the drawing board but I think that's in many ways it just elevates everything overall and it makes you kind of say hey I got to bring my A game and yeah I did get. You know, not like I wrote half the record, but I definitely got you know some of my voice on the new record, which is, you know, glad to see some progress in that area.
0: And I was going to say, yeah, certainly want to brag about what a great uh, guitar player your drummer is, and uh, imagine he he brought a lot of the, the songs and, on the album and the riffs, and can he solo too? I know he writes all these songs, but can, can John do some, some finger tap and solo one as well, or has he, he come up with the riffs? <laughs>
1: every, every now and again, the thing with him is he's just kind of one of these people that just always has ideas, and what he's amazing at is like, he'll like Sing an idea, but he has like terrible pitch, so he'll be like singing something. I'm like, what the hell is he singing? And but once you kind of translate what he's getting at, there's just So he's just a fountain of ideas. So usually he'll work with me or other guitar player, this other guy, Max, who does a lot of recording, and they'll kind of translate his ideas. He's like a maestro, you know, kind of uh, orchestrating everyone else. And so the way he works, you know, it's like, let's say he has an idea, right? And then we'll just kind of take that idea and find, you know, like 10 ideas around that idea. And then you just kind of keep filtering that. And then you just kind of mix and match. Hey, let's try this part here or this part here, or let's drop this. and So it's just about kind of opening up a well of creativity, you know, and the same thing when we're working on lyrics or something, he just always has ideas, so he's the kind of the master orchestrator and that's his real skill, you know, and, and outside of being able to play, you know, all the instruments, it's really just that creative kind of drive that just moves the project along. Like me, like, I have my own creative gifts, but he has a certain kind of focus that I think is, uh, you know, just helps make a band like this go.
0: It's amazing what he, what he does behind the kid alone and then just... He- Hear all these other secret superpowers he has is amazing too
1: when you when you look at uh music right you have a lot of producers quote unquote you have someone like rick rick rubin for example right but rick rubin he's not like on the board he's not like getting your guitar tone he's more of a big idea guy you know that's his skill is being able to come in and say, OK, is the band on the right track? Are the songs where they need to be? Is the creative energy where it needs to be? You know, from a songwriting standpoint, that's almost what John is like. He's not going to come in and sing the song perfect or he's not going to come in and maybe play the guitar riff better than me. But it's not about that. It's about having that kind of guiding force, you know.
0: Yeah, I love it. The other thing that I love about what you guys do and what, what Tommy does, being able to kind of do it all in one guy. A lot of bands nowadays, it takes two guys or three guys in the band to do the singing and the screaming, and, and he can kind of do it all in one. And I know he's kind of been doing that really since back in the Divine Heresy days. But feel free to brag about your singer. And where did you meet him along the way? Was it back in those Divine Heresy days or more recently?
1: I met Tommy way before that. I'm from New Jersey, and Tommy's from Brooklyn, and... And he was at a show, uh, this band 40 Below Summer was playing in New Jersey. He was like up front, you know, it was one of his favorite bands and the singer like put the mic out and he grabbed the mic. And was like singing the song, and it sounded incredible. And me and my brother were there, and we, we were in our band. God forbid at the time, since 2003. And we we're like, who the hell is that guy? <laughs> they just put the put the mic into, and we ran into him in the crowd. They we're like, dude, man, you sounded so great up there. He's like, right on. Uh, check out my band, uh, Vex. At the time, his band was called Vex. You know, and uh, he gave us a CD, and it had like contact information in there. And we like reached out to him, and immediately started working on a side project, going back to like said 2003. Oh wow! So I've known Tommy for forever. A really long time, but this is before Divine Heresy, before all all that. So, and he actually guessed it on the God forbid album, Gone Forever, on a track called Soul Engraved. Oh wow! Guess vocals though. Yes, yeah, so we go way back,
0: way back in the day. That's awesome, man. And you know, last thing about the the album, and just kind of curious for you now, especially that you've had some time. To kind of look back on it, is there, what's your proudest moment on the album? Is it, is it one particular riff or solo or song idea or lyric? Or what, what's that moment for you looking back on album number two?
1: Um, you know, I think the cool thing about the new album is I just think the band kept pushing the boundaries. You know, there's like there's a song, you know, that it was a song I, you know, that I, I wrote the music for. But it was a song I actually had for another band of mine that didn't end up getting used. It became better off this way it's epic, I think, in a way that songs on the previous record weren't. You know, I think the band is kind of able to go to these these places now from a songwriting standpoint and arrangement standpoint that I think are just more elevated. You know, even like I look at the bridge section of a song like No Messiah, you know, it sounds like it could be on like a Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion <laughs> or something like that, where it's just, you know, everything just feels a bit bigger and more epic. You know, and, and me, I'm really into a lot of the songs that aren't the singles there's um i'm like forgetting all the names of the songs like uh the, the consumerist is one of my favorite songs they're a way out i'm like forgetting the name of it heaven so heartless excuse me that, that's one of my favorite songs back in the day is one of my favorite songs and and i think it's just the band really kind of stretching its legs musically and doing some things that just uh in a sense we're keeping some of that technical flair that i think was always present but Everything's condensed and presented in a way that just feels more grand and more to the point. And, you know, lyrically, it's more concise. The vocal hooks are a lot more easy to grasp onto. Mentally, you can just kind of, you hear the song one time, you pretty much, you can feel it. And that's what we want. We want things that are anthemic. We We want things that stick with you after the fact
0: you were kind of talking about it there too one of the things I love about the band is the balance you know you guys do have those those more melodic songs those more ballady songs and then you you certainly can bring the heavy too and I was kind of curious when you're writing an album do you do you just kind of let whatever comes out come out or do you kind of say okay now we got like four heavy songs and and maybe six more melodic songs do we need to even that that out is it kind of a concerted effort or just kind of what comes out of you guys
1: Um, it's walking a tightrope you know because I think even on this album there's been some kind of chatter behind the scenes that maybe we went too light that what maybe it wasn't metal enough and and so I think it's just you know the band kind of established this wide berth right we can do we can have a zombie over here or hear me now and then we can have you know toast to the ghost and get as as heavy as it as it gets I think for the most part that's a great thing because you basically start off letting the world know to expect anything but I think there's also the element where the band could come off as maybe not being focused, right? It's like, well, what are you? Are you this mainstream band over here or are you a death metal band over here? Kind of figure it out. Uh, so it's, a, so it's, a, it's kind of a weird conundrum where you, where you have all these options. But how do you accomplish that and still sound like the same band? You know, and that's the really the kind of the, the tough thing. So for me, it's like, okay, what can we introduce that still maintains the identity of what we do? What are the signature elements that makes it a Bad Wolves song? You know, and, and some of that is just easy as just, well, if Tommy's singing on it, it's going to have that quality. But there has to be some kind of musicality there, tonality that is unique to what we do. So that's something we're always kind of dealing with, you know, because. Cause Tommy sometimes will work with some other songwriters and stuff and he'll bring in stuff and it's like, okay, let's make sure this feels like the same thing because you want it to feel integrated. So it is a, it is a challenge. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. We're already working on the next record right now. We're trying to utilize this downtime Uh that we have to, to stay productive. And these are kind of the conversations we're, we're having because it's, we know like you know because we're all come from the metal world the extreme metal world right we know how to make a heavy metal song we know how to churn out something heavy pretty easily we have those chops and i think we kind of understand the idea about how to make something pretty straightforward and kind of radio friendly because we've had a lot of success in that arena as well but i think the thing i focus on is like how can we kind of do both you know well, you know write songs that have some energy and have some kind of heavy credibility, but also have that those hooks that people can grasp onto. And that's to me like, the real challenge of where the band is going to take the band to the to the future is can we kind of combine all that it doesn't have to be every song like we still want to have some really heavy stuff and stuff that you know explores the kind of the lighter side of the band because I think we do both really well and that makes the band unique because not every band has that versatility right so that's just something that we're in, in now and, and the truth is I know with the, with the next album we're going to have a lot of songs and a lot of material and it's just about what is the dominant vision what are you trying to accomplish and that's you know that's something I you know, me and John have been talking a lot about kind of almost putting these like adjectives that describe what we want, because the truth is we can do what we've been doing. And I think that's pretty easy. But I think the only way the band grows is by by growing, by going somewhere new, by doing something unexpected. That's what always interests me, which is risky. Right. Yeah. You know, when you're in a a successful band, it's always when you go too far out of your element, then you have that risk of maybe alienating people. So, you know, we're not trying to do that, but we're trying to expand what the band does and, and take it to the next level.
0: Are you guys still in the, in the writing phase or are songs already coming together at this point?
1: We have a very interesting process where sometimes the writing and recording are almost the same thing because we'll kind of demo stuff, but it's not demo it's just we end up using it anyway so it's a combined process so we're just being you know we're just kind of this thing where you know like me for example my um my mom passed away like a month ago so i've been like i was kind of just out of the count you know i just wasn't in the ready mood i wasn't you know i was just kind of dealing with life but now i'm like slowly kind of get, getting back into it but other guys have been working tommy's been working on stuff john's working on stuff you know the other guys are working on stuff so i'm kind of like Playing catch up creatively, right? But I'm kind of looking at like you know what everyone's writing, everyone's doing stuff, and it's almost like the last record, but even more like, well, if I want something on the record, I, I gotta do something great, you know. <laughs> but that's on me, you know, and that's and you, know, you can't be upset because someone else is bringing. Heat is bringing great stuff, you know. But I, but I do think the bar is raised because you take a song like "I'll Be There," which I think is like a real groundbreaking song for the for the band, Um, you know, because it has it's just so heavy and technical and catchy, and you know, and it's it's a it's really challenging to play. It's like the bar has been raised. So for us to kind of get even something that's on that level, it's like a drug, right? Like if you do even if you do the same thing, it doesn't feel quite as good, right? right? Like you have to you have to make it better for it to kind of feel more impactful for you as a creator. That's kind of the point we're at now where like dudes are writing stuff it's like, oh, that's good, man. But it's like, is it giving you that thing that makes it feel special, that makes it feel that we're doing something that we haven't done before? And it's like, John just showed me something he did the other day and it was like, it was different. Like, it was familiar, but it was different. You could tell he was like, you know, pushing through that next level which is like where the band needs to be so it's, it's exciting but it's also kind of daunting so i feel like well i haven't wrote, written enough or i haven't brought enough stuff but that's you know i'll get there you know but uh but also like i said have to be prepared for hey maybe i'm just going to write less on this record and that's okay you know as long as it's good obviously
0: yeah well you know that's what i thought was kind of cool about what you were saying it's kind of that that wolf pack uh you know you weren't able to write as much so then some other guys wrote as much and everyone had your back kind of i thought that's the kind of the cool part out of that story
1: yeah. yeah, I mean, listen, it is what it is, and and the band is bigger than any one member, and yet kind of, you know, and that you know takes a certain amount of humility because you know the, your ego is always going to want you to like be more involved, or you know, I'm a lead guitar player, for example, and you know, and, and Chris, other guitar player, um, there was like some some stuff going down with the band, and they ended up giving you know throwing some of the guitar solos to him because they didn't think I was going to be up to it, and I you know, and I and I felt some kind of ways, so I'm like. I'm the lead guitar player. Why, you know, and then I heard the solos he did, and they were great. So I was like, "Can you really be mad if right. someone does a great job?" You know, so then I was like, I was telling Chris, I'm like, well, I guess we're, we're co-league guitar players now. And we are, you know, and that's okay. You know, and it's not about me, me, me. It's about what, what's working, what sounds good, what's, what's better for the band. And what's better for the band is that everyone can get a chance to display their skill set. You know, not every band is, has guitar players good enough to have two lead guitar players, but we do. And that's an amazing thing.
0: All part of that growth, all part of that, taking the game to the next level, like you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I love, listen, man, it's, this is a really talented band, and you, but you still have to be able to take advantage of that, you know, because um, there's kind of, in this realm, there's like the live kind of front of any band, there's the kind of behind the scenes recording stuff. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the recording these days, it's about kind of convenience, right? Like, well, let's just get this done quicker. Let's, you know, Create a vocal harmony in in Pro Tools instead of having someone come in and sing it because it takes longer and it's I think there's and that's really kind of a value judgment or it's sometimes it's budget right like we don't we don't have time to do such and such let's just wrap it up let's not record real drums let's just program the drums and that's and that's a fight you have to kind of get through and me I'm always going to want to take the kind of harder road if it's more organic and more kind of detail-oriented. You know, that's that's my frame of mind, which doesn't always win out, but it's, uh, you know, it's how I'm always going to see things. Like, I'm willing to kind of have things take a little longer, but unfortunately, in the world we're in, it, there's labels and there's management and there's, there's you know, uh, time restraints and there's budgets and there's all these things that are kind of guiding some of those things where you can't just, hey, man, I'm just going to be an artist and you'll get the record when, it, when you get it, you know? So... I totally understand how you have to be mindful of all that, but I'm always going to be kind of put the creative first, you know? I hear you. Even to the the detriment of the business, but thankfully that's probably why I'm not the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the key guy in control, because, you know, I'm the one like, we'll get the record when you get it. But the other guys are not on that wave, are not on the wavelength, which is probably better for the distance of the band. So thank God I'm not in control, is what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of control, I was going to bring it up. I I, don't, I think it's pretty cool. And I don't know if everyone knows it, that Zoltan from Five Finger Death Punch is, is your manager. I think obviously, you know, a guy that's had a bunch of success and you want to look to someone like that, but I was kind of curious, is there any sort of instance that you could share where where he was more manager than, you know, Zoltan from Five Finger Death Punch where he maybe kind of instead of doing something cool, he maybe kind of looked ahead and said, you know, from a more management perspective, so to speak, it, you know, he made a decision that you were like, "Oh, oh, I guess I didn't look at it like that and it ended up working out the right way."
1: I'd say you know there's a lot of things because you know especially in the early days you know uh when we first signed the record deal because he was really orchestrated our record deal which was with the same record labels them uh better better noise music and at the time it was called 117 you know a lot of the things you know when he was explaining kind of how essentially he he was you know explaining what branding is with a band and he explained it to me this way and it was, it was like some trade secrets so whoever listens is you're gonna get some trade secrets from uh, from zoltan he was basically saying it's like you're creating a club and you want the people in that club to feel like they're exclusive to it but that the people who are also in it are like their people you know and he was explaining it like you're appealing to different people in high school and like okay these are like the jock people over here but maybe they like five your death punch but it's you know that sometimes in order to get your fan base you kind of actually almost have to alienate other people you know, when you wear like a 500 Death Watch t shirt, he's like, that means you're basically a member of that club. You know, and the way he was kind of explaining it in, in ways that were outside of the way, you know, usually hear about bands, you know, because when I came up, you know, I never thought about branding or basically the process of creating a fan base. And so it was something that this band did very early, early on, like the, that Wolf logo, Zoltan designed that. Wow, He does most of the five finger designs. He has a background in, in graphic design. So he, he really understands this, these things on kind of a macro level. And he applied a lot of that knowledge to Bad Wolves. And, and part of the reason why the, the logo looks that way is, we, you know, a lot of the idea was to market the band like a sports team. It was like the Oklahoma Bad Wolves. You know, that was like the idea behind that. And that's and it's been effective, you know, on the on the merchandising side of it because it it's iconic and it's, it's simple and, and it, it translates, you know, and then we make sure that it's on a basketball jersey, a football jersey, a hockey jersey, and it kind of ties all that stuff together to make it feel like I'm rooting for my home team you know in a lot of ways he was really instrumental on things like that and then it's kind of funny because it, he really didn't see the band as like a kind of quote unquote radio type band right from the get go and it was almost like the success happened and then the band kind of became that you know it's, it's interesting like even the smartest people can't predict right. what's going to happen you know I don't care who you are you know can't predict everything that's going to happen you know and I remember we showed him a hear me now song that you know ended up you know, being our second number one single and at the time he didn't Really like it. He was like, yeah, it's all right. It's, you know, it's like kind of keep working, go back to the thing. And it, it kind of tells you when he got with the band, it was because of Learn to Live, which is a really heavy song. Right. You know, and I think he saw the band more as like a heavy band that maybe got some play on radio, but it was more that we were a metal band. And so we kind of ended up having success in that other realm quicker than was anticipated. And that just makes you kind of change your vision midway. But I think, you know, he's also worried and I totally get this. You know, you also don't want to water things down where you make the band so commercial that you kind of take the teeth out of it. And then it kind of becomes not interesting. Right. Because it's like there's a a million just kind of very safe sounding accessible rock bands that's not really a difficult thing to achieve you know but it's like how far are you going to go like that you know it's like you have to have some edge to you. Hey, you have to have something that makes you unique and interesting and different than everyone else instead of just, hey, we're going to make this radio song. And so he, he's always trying to impart that upon us of like, hey, don't go for that carrot too soon and then dilute what makes the band special. And so that's that's something on, on our end, too, because ultimately we're the ones that have to create the music. We're the ones that have to perform the music. So you can have all the guidance in the world, but you have to execute the plan, you know. And also, like I said, there's sometimes where you're going to disagree with your manager or your label and sometimes you have to stick to your guns because that's what you think is best. And you're going to have that argument know you you're going to, but you have to be able to back up your ideas with, uh, you know, results.
0: And, you know, uh, Appreciate all the time here, Doc, and, and kind of curious, uh, looking ahead to the future. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but uh, but uh, imagine once this touring machine gets going again, what do you think touring's going to look like in the future? Is it going to be half capacity, or have we seen the end of mosh pits and meet and greets? What, what do you envision the uh, touring world to, to look like once things get going again, and, and when do you think it'll be?
1: I don't really know. You know, I mean, for, I mean, for what I hear... You know, basically, you know, I know they say you know six feet apart, masks. I was under the impression that it's only six feet apart if you don't have a mask because if you sneeze or something, and it goes so far that. But if you had a mask, it would stop that. You know, if you had a you know medical grade medical grade mask. So I mean, you know, I don't I don't really know because I, I, this is one of the kind of more confusing. Phenomena that have ever happened in my, in my lifetime because, you know, I'm sure like you, you know, you. I, I try and stay pretty uh, attuned to what's going on news-wise, but things change so rapidly, right? So you'll get a certain set of information one day. Because I remember at first, the Surgeon General came out and said, you don't need a mask. D- don't buy masks. Those are for the medical people. Then they now it's required that we wear a mask in California. You know, and you're, they're like, oh, this compound, cure, you know, is a, is a good treatment. And they find out that it's not. And, and, and so I feel like that's every week. I feel like there's very little half measures and a lot of the stuff might just be almost almost like metaphorical. Like it's not really going to protect you, but it's just like people are going to, you know, unfortunately, I think as long as we open things up, more people are going to get sick. And it might be a situation where it's just going to happen and there's nothing you can really do and you just kind of accept That's part of it. You know, I don't know, but I don't see how you can do venues at half capacity unless you like take like a a tour that was going to draw a thousand people, but then put it in a venue that holds 2000 people. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Because then the money will be so much less that you basically won't be able to keep the lights on. If Metallica was going to play an arena and instead of 15,000 tickets, they sell 7,500 tickets, I don't think Metallica can effectively tour selling that many tickets, you know what I'm saying? Because right. they're used to bringing in a certain amount of revenue. I mean, I just get the feeling like either, either it's open or it's not. I don't think you can really do half measures, but I just think it, maybe it's open, but everyone wears a mask. And I think now we're all conditioned to know to like, you know, wear gloves or use sanitizer or wash your hands or be careful with surfaces and don't. I think as long as people are smart, you can only do as much as you can. But other than that, I just think I just don't understand the half measures. Either we're like literally staying inside for 18 months until it's gone or eventually you have to start opening things up. It's it's very strange.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I wonder, like, if uh, you know how it's going to affect, like, even meet and greets or mosh pits too in the future.
1: I've been in many venues where it's like no moshing and there's a sign, and but they don't really regulate it. <laughs> so I mean, what's the plan? If you see some moshing, you're going to have security go in there and like break them up physically and right. then put themselves at risk. Yeah. You know, so some some of these things sound kind of effective in in theory, but I, I just don't know how they'll be implemented. That, that goes with any rule, right? You can make a law for anything, but someone has to enforce it, and so. I don't really know what the other end of this look, looks like, and I'm hearing, I saw a piece of news that Live Nation was going to get things back up running beginning of 2021, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I know some bands have already rescheduled stuff for the fall, but... You know, I think as far as the United States, I think it, it makes it really difficult because even though there's a national response, you know, there's really been no national laws or regulations passed. So it's really state by state and almost even city by city. Right. So you had Georgia open up. But Atlanta didn't, you know, because they have different ordinances and things like that. You know, I, I wish I had more clarity on this. Like we're, we have a tour with Disturbed and Stained that's supposed to be going out mid-July to September. And I don't I don't know the, the status of that. You know, and I'm, I'm just hoping it just gets postponed or, or something like that. But, uh, you know, if we're stuck home for the rest of the year, it's definitely going to be a bummer, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, Doc, I appreciate all the time. I don't want to take up too much more of it, but I can't can't let you go without talking about the wedding band and how this came together. If you wouldn't mind bragging a little bit about it, how, how you got pulled into this thing, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting. So I moved to LA in 2014 and I was doing this cover band called Rebel Noise Group and my drummer at the time was a guy Ken Schalk who played in a band called Candiria from New York, really legendary band, one of my favorite bands. Also played in Fuel for a while and he was playing with my cover band and it was also at the same time filling in for this band with Rob Trujillo called Mass Mental. And Mass Mental is a band with it's like uh, the singer from Skindred and uh, this other bass player, Arm- Armand Sebelet, That show, there's two bass players, no guitar player, but they have this one section of the set where they do three Black Sabbath songs with Whitfield Crane, the singer from Ugly Kid Joe. So they needed a guitar player to do these three Sabbath songs you know, and they were trying to get Kirk Hammett. They were trying to get, you know, Joe Holmes and Ozzy. And these guys couldn't do it. And somehow my name came up. And I had toured with Metallica in 2009, filling in with Lamb of God. I was filling, filling in for Mark Morton. So Rob had some awareness of me. And somehow it was like my name came up. And then it was like, hey, you want to come and play on these three songs? So the first gig I ever did when I moved to LA was playing with these guys at the whiskey and I'm like Ozzy was at the show and Stuart Copeland from the police and Duff McKagan and all that people. I was like wow. you know, it was it was pretty insane and um just even just going to the rehearsal and I you know, I was just jamming with the guys and I was pretty loose and pretty confident and ended up going well and you know, I got a call from Rob the next day and he's just like, Man, it's like You sounded great. Um, I love your attitude. I love your feel. He's like, you know, he's like, you're going to do well here. You know, because at the time, like I said, I didn't have any gigs. I was just basically like moving to L.A. and figure it out. But he just kept calling me. You know, and and after that we did another gig where it wasn't a, another bass, it was just me and him. You know, then I would come in and just kind of fill in, do rehearsals and stuff. And then Metallica ended up putting out the new record, and then Bad Wolves, you know, took off. So I was busy, he was busy, and but we would stay in touch. You know, like he actually asked me if I was interested in like the Suicidal Tendencies gig when that went down, but I was obviously busy. You know, and then I I remember reading about the Wedding Band thing on uh on like Blabbermouth or something. And I was like, oh that's cool, they're doing doing the gig, and then and then I get a call from him. He's like, hey man. Man, would you be down to do a rehearsal so basically like i would be the the kirk Hammett at rehearsal just because kirk could rehearse ah. i looked at my dates i had i could do it i was free so you know i learned like you know 16 songs and it's like priest and black sabbath and acdc and a bunch of funk tunes and some of them we had done before with mass mental so i knew some of that and i just did this rehearsal and it it went really well sounded great i felt good i was just happy that i didn't screw up rehearsal <laughs> that was like my main goal right <laughs> And we get done, and you know, and, and Rob's like, "Man, this sounded really good, man, like really good." He's like, "Man, like, yo, I think I kind of love to have you do this gig." And it was like, I was like, "What?" I was like, my ears went up. I was like, "Huh?" So basically, you know, a lot of calls were made, and you know, back and forth. And somehow, like later that night, I basically found out that I was going to be able to do the gig. And so I had to basically fly to Toronto on a to red eye, do the gig fly a uh, red-eye to Dallas to start a Bad Wolves tour with uh, Pop Roach. Pretty bugged out. And I was like a little worried because I was like, it was supposed to be a four-piece band. I was like, didn't want, you know, to step on anyone's toes, you know, especially with guitar players, you don't you don't want to, you know, we we got big egos and... <laughs> you know it was just kind of surreal where it's like you have that opportunity and it worked out really well and at the time it wasn't any kind of permanent thing it was just more like hey i'm gonna go do this gig and you know and obviously people see the pictures and they kind of freak out and then and then the opportunity came up to do another show and but that this time it was basically like basically like i'm in the band you know and and rob calls me hey you want to do this gig and 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 this time instead of like one rehearsal then we do a gig we we rehearsed for full week in in la rehearsed for almost a full week in south carolina did the gig. You know, we had suits, you know, that we got and there was like a, wow. you know, we did two sets. We had a horn section. We had this crazy wah competition between Kirk and guitar player, Miss Smith. It was, it was really insane and a lot more elaborate. You know, it was a lot more work this time too. It was just really making it, you know, very ambitious. So it was honestly, it's, it's a, I don't, it's a weird thing. So I'm like, I don't know how I got this gig, <laughs> but I feel like I bring a lot to the table and I'm appreciated. And it's, it's definitely a, you know, and on some aspects it's a kind of paint yourself moment, but it's also like this is what I do. You know, I'm a guitar player. So it's you kind of prepare your whole life and you get put in a position and just my I main thing is just don't piss anyone off and, and try and take notes because these are some of the best to ever do it and to kind of be in that vicinity, for me it's like I just need to be absorbing all the time and learning. Especially, you know, like Rob, he's like for me, he's like kind of a, a mentor for me, you know, cause his, just what he's done in his life and his whole attitude about everything. It's something I just really admire. And I try and, you know, follow his lead in kind of every aspect and and take his advice and just, you know, just having someone like that in your, in your life, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. You know.
0: What's your favorite song to play with the wedding band and and B, Have you have, have you found yourself ever looking over at Kirk and stop playing? You're like, here I am playing with Kirk, i it. <laughs> like, have you caught yourself a, a couple times on stage doing that or just jaw on the floor drooling or anything?
1: It's just a funny thing because you know Kirk has just a thing that just he does. Because the thing that's cool about him. And even Rob, is like, they jam at rehearsal almost like they're at a show. Like, they're just having so much fun, you know, and they're rocking out. Two favorite songs, it's really two. It's uh, Live Wire by ACDC, which was actually is a funny story about that. So, it, he sent me a set list, right? And I, first rehearsal, and I go, and he's like, Live Wire, and I go, and I start playing Live Wire by what? Motley Crue. Yeah. I didn't even realize that there was a Live Wire by ACDC. And by the way, the ACDC see? Live wire is so much better than the Motley Crue <laughs> one. It's so awesome. So I, I had to go home and learn that that night because I screwed it up, learned the wrong song. But that one is super fun, really dynamic, and it gets big. And me and Kirk have this cool guitar harmony part. And then a really fun one is Green Mona which is a Judas Priest cover of Fleetwood Mac. I'm forgetting the name of the band. Fleetwood Mac. There you go. And that one is just it's just metal and heavy and fun, and it just sounds so epic and uh, Whitfield Crane sounds amazing him doing any Priest or Sabbath dude sounds so incredible but that's a really fun one to play too so it's a super fun gig because I'm kind of old school in my mentality in general you know I feel like I'm a you know kind of rock guitar player trapped in a metal guitar player's kind of uh, you know um, sensibilities and and you know and I love just being you know off the grid just jamming being loose you know where it's like hey we're just gonna figure out on this part and you you play so. And you play whatever, and you just kind of you know. I love that environment. It's just you get in a room, you play loud, and you just have fun. And it's you know everything in the modern era is very regimented. You know, it's like, hey we're on it in here, and we're playing to a click, and it's you know it's all that stuff. And, and I kind of like going old school. You know, it's and especially with with players that <laughs> that's their bread and butter. You know, because I'm a 10 years younger than almost everyone in the band. At least you know when I'm playing Sabbath with Trujillo, who played with Ozzy, it's it's almost you're almost getting it from the source. Yeah. you know. Um, it ain't geezer butler but it ain't far off you know
0: <laughs> absolutely it last thing for doc your favorite metallica song just to put a button on it
1: blackened yeah i may have to think about it yeah it's got it all
0: what did you think about that acoustic version that for me like honestly Blackened's in my top five if, if not three but that that acoustic version they did was impressive but for me it just did not work
1: i don't need no acoustic ends, you know i'm you know it's not an easy thing to do but listen i i give them credit for just mixing it up and metallica the thing i love about them is they're not afraid of putting themselves out there and so sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but they're very much in the moment and i just respect that about them every time they take big risks even if i like it or not i respect the fact that they do it you know like that and that's something it's something to follow because like i said most bands Their fear disallows them from, you know, sometimes in order to get to greatness, you have to be willing to to look stupid,
0: you know? Yeah, warts and all, as they say.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Doc, I appreciate all the time, man. Thank you so much. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now do me a favor and subscribe to it. Radioactive Mike Z available on all the major platforms. And while you're at it, follow me on Instagram at mikez967, and I'll follow you back, bro. Most importantly, don't miss the show. Wired in the Empire every Saturday
1: night, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on 96.7 Kcal Rocks.